I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Here's our conclusion to episode 39, with Graham McMillan and myself talking Walt Simonson's Mighty Thor Omnibus, Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, Wolverine, Insane in the Brain, the trade paperback by Jason Aaron, Yannick Paquette, and C.P. Smith, Moon Knight number 1 by Bendis and Malib, Thor number 1 by Matt Fraction and Oliver Quickbell, the aftermath of Brightest Day and Justice League Generation Lost, and our speculation about Flashpoint. All of this in under an hour? As Graham would say, you bet your bippy. We hope you enjoy, and as always, thanks for listening. So, so here's one of the ironies, is after saying all this stuff, like, I have been reading, uh, I've been tucking in, as they say, to uh, Simonson's Mighty Thor Omnibus, which just arrived yesterday. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, I, you know, I hate to tell you this, Graham, but it kind of is. Uh, the, the coloring is pretty nice. Like there's some really lovely stuff where, uh, he keeps a lot of the primary colors for the primary colored scenes. And then he does a kind of great job of sort of opening up the palette a little bit. So there's a couple of like scenes set at like dusk or whatever, where there things are kind of lightly purple, you know, but it's not, I don't know how to describe it. It's not done in that sort of like dark horses recolored conan type stuff at least at this stage of things maybe maybe later as it goes on it will get that way but it's not like the coloring is done to give it a real weird crappy photorealistic finish um but the so it's lovely the one thing that it's i mean it's an enormous book like you could club another man to death with the book uh and that has its own challenges in that I think the copy that I got is in pretty good condition. But it, it feels is, like it's falling apart. Well, the, it, 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 it's almost warped under the weight of its own pages. Like mm-hmm. when you open the book, particularly at the beginning of it, because it's, you know, so tightly bound in order to keep it bound correctly, it feels warped to me. It feels really warped close to the spine. Maybe that's just, maybe I have a copy that's like a little is warped, and I'm like, part of me is like, mm, should, I, should I send this back and try and get another one and just completely fuck up my carbon p- footprint even worse than, you know, I have already? But, um, so that's a, that's a little problematic. It's not an easy book to read in bed without fear of it actually like caving in your chest and, and crushing your internal organs. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, it's the first three or four issues are kind of glorious. Uh, and interesting. I'll see where it goes. But I remember, like, I think I told you, I have those first two issues of Thor uh, uh, that where Beta Ray Bill first appears. And of course, Beta Ray Bill is such an awesome looking character and such an awesomely conceived character. And Simonson has, his chops are just so fucking awesome. Really the whole, when, cause in the first issue, which you've, have you, you've read all the Simonson. I've read, yeah, I've read all. Recommended yes, yes. So like when Thor like goes into space to retrieve this spaceship, one of the things that's awesome about it is because Simonson's so good at drawing tech, that spaceship looks great. You know what I mean? It's not just like a throwaway kind of like, oh, it's like the Quinjet, but like with four, you know, fins on the bottom. Sure. It looks like some really awesomely uh, – in fact, I was kind of curious whether or not Simonson intentionally 
because he had worked on, uh, you know, that adaptation of, of uh, Alien with Archie Goodwin, mm-hmm. like it's it's a very thin, flat sort of ship, and it's like, oh, it's kind of kind of Nostromo-ish, you know. And there is a scene where like something bursts out and grabs Thor by the face, uh, and of course it's it's Beta Ray Bill. All this being said, as much as I love it, I'm also kind of like, wow. Like, Beta Ray Bill is kind of like a huge Mary Sue, you know? <laughs> like, you kind of have to take him, you have to take him or leave him. And I think back in the day, I kind of left it. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he, I'd say he gets even more of, of Mary Sue. Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. How, how far are you in? Uh, I'm at the scene where, uh, um, okay, so they've met, they have fought weirdly and capriciously to the death then he gets his wounds healed he gets his own hammer made which is awesome oh okay so the, it ends with thor sif and beta ray bill hopping up on the awesome goat carriage and flying off to the to fight the demons that are attacking beta ray bill's planet so so basically you have everything in place Beta Ray Bill has had his own hammer made especially for him, forged, you know, by the dwarves that Odin has declared. And, you know, and it is. I'm kind of like, on the one hand, great. On the other hand, I'm like, it's so fanficy. You know what I mean? It's just... It, you you, ha- you haven't read the rest of Simonson run, have you? No, I haven't. Oh, I didn't oh, even make oh, it in this it, third issue. It gets so much more Mary Sue-ish with Beta Ray Bill. Really? Wow. So there's a point where you really you're like, huh? Okay, I I really want to spoil it because it's not a massive spoiler, but I also don't because you've never read it before. Right, right. Well, but I mean, but it's it was 20 years ago. You know what I mean? You can or so you can spoil it. Man. What what it, what it is is um, Beta Ray Bill and Sif end up in a relationship. Okay, because they're already hinting at that. Yeah. where she's like, I must prove myself to him. Yeah, well, yeah. The end of a relationship, and she's just like, oh, you're the greatest. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, like, I, 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 it's it's one of those things where I'm like, every on the other hand, let me tell you, those three, I've only read three issues of Thor, and that those issues are motherfucking packed. I mean, not only do you have like Simonson takes a page for the the big thing that's you know wielding the 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 forge and the doom furnace or whatever, which he breaks a full full page onto, but like. This third issue, it has Sif's subquest. It actually has Odin going off in character and like asking the dwarves for a favor, and they say, "Oh yeah, we'll we'll forge this weapon if you send us a warrior woman to beat our champion, and if she loses, she's basically our our you know go to chick." And Odin's like, "Okay, Sif, why don't you go do that? Like, chances are good you could end up being dwarf prostitute for the rest of your days." But it's already, it's also jammed in there with like four, like there's like four storylines going in in any one issue, and it's a little crowded. It's a little crowded. The word balloons are just all over the place, but but it is, it's it's beautiful. It's really dense, even though Th- Odin's a little bit of a dick. Um, you know, Simonson so clearly knows his Norse myth, and and actually the language flows. Like, I think remember when I was saying that I kind of was bothered by the Simonson wink. I guess, yeah, it's actually really subdued in these first three issues. In part because 
<laughs> in part because he's like doing a crazy Mary Sue fanfic with a horse-faced bionic alien, you know, which when I read that he was a bionic alien, I'm like, oh my God, no wonder why this guy's like awesome. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there is something that's kind of great about that whole idea of like, oh, did we mention he's a ninja? You know, it's it's like, yeah, throw everything in there. Like just, that, just the throw everything in there is part of what I really, really like about Simonson Star. Especially like by the end, he's like, Fuck it! I'm just gonna throw throw in like Ragnarok, right? right <laughs> so it's exactly. it's really much just like you know. I know I've got three issues left, but come on, let's mm-hmm. just let's just take care of it. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Um, no, I, I so, think I think the whimsy later, especially like in the frog issues, right, threatens exactly. to to overwhelm it, but mm-hmm. never does. Oh, interesting. Well, it's the, the frog issues work much better than they should. Right. I would, I would. Lo- I'm looking forward to checking them out. I know they're coming. Uh, I, I'm just glad that at least it's not there from the very beginning. He has actually such a long run on Thor. It wouldn't surprise me if he starts mixing things up. Um, yeah, he's up and, for like forty issues, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it starts in three thirty and okay. ends in three eighty. It starts three thirty seven, ends in three eighty. Right, three eighty two maybe. Yeah, three eighty two. I think is the last one. Right. So, I mean, that's, you know, I that's sadly, like four years. I sadly remembered that. By, by, memory. by memory. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just knew that. Um, I also know that 380, for example, is the last issue he does pencils for. Oh, really? It's Albusema actually starts way, way earlier, but he comes back to the pencils for one off. Oh, okay. Okay. And do you know what the point is on the skip issues? Were there reprint issues in there or something? Or They're, they're not included in the omnibus. Right. There's issues that are that are no. They were, they were reprint. They were filling. There, there's oh, like okay. a, a Roger Stern and Butch Geis in there that that isn't in there, and there's something hmm. else I can't remember. Interesting. Because one of the villains was my first issue of Thor ever. Oh really? Uh, and then the next issue, Simonson was back, and I remembered being like a, a nine year old kid and being like, "What the hell is this?" And my head was just like blown because <laughs> it just didn't look like a comic to me. Do you know what I mean? Like, Simonson's style is so different from if you're used to pretty much, like, the DC Marvel style at the time. Oh, totally. totally. That, that really was just like, what? Mm-hmm. What is this? Yeah. And, and I that may have also been a reason why I was a little – why I jumped af, off of Thor after three issues. Like, as much as I enjoyed it, part of me was like, eh, it's too busy. It's too designy. I mean, which is odd because I loved – uh, DC, the Manhunter stuff that he and Archie Goodwin did that I saw back when I was super young and they were backups in Detective. And I'm like, it was crazy great. But I kind of had that weird kind of thing, which makes sense, I guess, and how I grew up is like, you can have Rich Buckler draw like Rich Buckler when he's doing Deathlock. But when Rich Buckler is drawing Fantastic Four, he should rip off Jack Kirby. You know, it was like... Only because I was like seven and had no taste, I think. Yeah. No, but it's it's it. I know what you mean because I remember when Simonson took over FF, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of people were just like, "What? What the fuck is this?" Right. Um, but it's one of those things. And the weird thing is, I think when people back then, at least before like the image revolution, I mm-hmm. think people didn't expect FF artists to rip off to rip off Kirby. They expected them to rip off John Buscema and. Joe Sinnott. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. They didn't, want, they didn't want Kirby. Kirby would be too weird. Right. No, exactly. Kirby was way too weird for me as a kid, too. 
for that reason. You know, it was kind of like, like the jump between, which is one of the great, you know, um, ironies of say the Captain America omnibus, which I don't know you, which you have, I don't know if you've noticed this, but do you notice that they cut off John Romita's name on the cover? Of the omnibus? Yeah, on the omnibus. Oh, that, on, that on the cover uh, image. The, the signature, you mean? Yeah, I did notice. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. So. It's like Jack Kirby, and it's and to me, it's so ironic because it is. It's an iconic image, but but it's not really Kirby. Like it's really funny comparing that with the with the Kirby cap that's on mm -hmm. Spidey. Yeah, it looks like two exactly. different artists. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so it's one of those weird things of like by that point, like you see this image, like the definitive. Captain America for a bunch of people was the John Romita Captain America. You yeah, know? well, I think um, that's I think that's true of Spider Man as well. Ditko is not the definitive Spider Man for me. Right, Romita's Spider Man. I'm weirdly enough Gil Kane's Spider Man. Mm, interesting. Right. No, which makes sense. A lot of people are like that, and of course, for me, it's Ross Andrew, who everyone's like, "What?" You know. No, but Ross Ross Andrew is one of these artists I remember as a kid being like, his work is ugly as sin, mm -hmm. and then. As I got older, like I'd find a lot of his DC stuff where he was inked by Dick Giordano, and I'd be like, "This is amazing work! Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, this is stunningly good. Why is this man not, uh, you know, held up as one of the greats?" And then I'd be like, "Oh, because I, because they all have the reaction I had when I was younger, which was I hate this." <laughs> well, I, yeah, exactly. A lot of people really. I, I think it's fascinating because I honestly think that if you, like, if you were able to, like, um survey spider-man fans and ask them who their favorite spider-man artist is like the dudes who say ross andrew and mike esposito like i bet we are like this really thin strata that is probably like within about six months of each other as far as age you know what i mean because <laughs> it was our spider-man or something you know yeah. it's like when we first started reading spider-man it was and so it looked enough like the colors are iconic enough um but yeah, I mean, even rereading re those things, which I have been, there's stuff that I love about his about his Spider-Man. But I'm I am fascinated. Like he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have the design chops that Romita has, and Romita's got just design chops like oozing out his pores. Um, and he doesn't have the storytelling chops that Ditko has. Not not even close. But he's got kind of a weird hybrid, I guess, where his storytelling is like his fight scenes aren't graceful, but they have a lot of impact to them. And the amount of detail that he that they put in, like, I really do think that the 70s Spider-Man by Andrew is such a, an amazing like New York is such a character in that book mm -hmm. in, in a way that I feel is really, really accurate, you know, Um I don't know. I'm sorry. That's we'll probably edit that part out because it is. It's like a. It's like the Manchurian candidate. Why? Why, in... why would we edit that out? I, don't I, know. I went down the Andrew hole. <laughs> the Andrew hole. Wow, that's probably the filthiest thing we've said on the podcast <laughs> sometimes. Oh come on. Well, yeah. Everyone of a certain age knows what the Andrew hole is. <laughs> okay, and he's just making it <laughs> exactly. I have just made it much worse. Of my... You have so the, fu the funny it, thing is, while you're saying that, I am um become I've become weirdly obsessed. I actually took the uh Captain America omnibus out when you were talking about it, and I realized mm -hmm. there's a really weird coloring thing happening on the front page. That I'm going to look at the original comic now and see if it's there. 
Ooh, what are you talking about? It's, uh, it's, look at the star. Look at Captain America's chest in the front of the omnibus. There's a white oh, bit underneath the star. You're totally right. Which, it's like he's which, got a goiter or something. Which isn't, like, on, wasn't there. Which isn't on the original. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why the fuck did they do that? Wow, that's really weird. They added that little blobby bit. I don't, I don't oh, no, know. The, the blobby bit under the chest is yes, yes, under right. the chin, rather, is there. I'm talking about underneath the star. There's an extra bit of white. Oh, like the little weird chainmail yeah. thing or whatever that's supposed to be. Yeah, that that has gone from being blue on the original cover, which I'm looking at on the internet right now, uh huh, to being white not only on the cover of the book but on the reprinted cover of the issue inside the book. Mm. That's really odd. I, I, maybe they thought it was a reproduction thing. Maybe they thought the blue look showed up badly inside the... I don't know. It's weird. I'm actually more freaked out by the star and the little weird, like, Abraham Lincoln thing. Like, I'm like, wow, wait, that's really... That's on the original comic? Yep. I'm deeply confused. Yep, that is, that is um, Cap's wow. beard. Cap had a goatee way before it was cool. Yeah, seriously. Hipster Cap is uh, is fighting the Mad Bomb as only he can. I, I uh, talking about Cap. I was rereading, um, or reading, I should say, the Captain America Sentinel of Liberty hardcover, which is the Mark Wade, the really short-lived Mark Wade title from like the mm-hmm. 90s. Um, and the first issue has a throwaway line to a character fighting the Cerebomb, and it's like, really, not the Mad Bomb? It's it, it's this weird, weird like flash-forward story. To, two, uh-huh. to 2001, because back then, that was the future. <laughs> um, where, really weirdly, Cap is fighting terrorists. Hmm. Which was like, huh, that's really uncomfortably, like, pretty good. Um, and Sharon Carter is the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. Hmm. I know, I was kind of like, huh. The rest of the book, not as good as I wanted it to be, but anyway. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things that has actually kind of always bummed me out that um that I that Wade has talked about how like Captain America is his sort of second most beloved character in comics and has been ever since he was a kid. And everyone at the time was jumping up and down over his Captain America stuff. The stuff that I picked up has generally left me pretty cold. I, I like his like his run on the main book, but this is mm-hmm. essential literature, like, you know, stories from any time in Cap's history. And mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't really work for me. Oh, interesting. Huh. So, like, so there's the future. There's the future. There's two. yeah. There's like an Invaders three parter. Mm-hmm. There's um. There's one set. It's actually really cute. He does like a Tales of Suspense trip off, where it's two stories per issue for two issues. Um, one, and one of them guest stars Iron Man. Ah, very very fun. So yeah, it is like that's kind of a cute concept, but you know, it's just none of it really. It all feels very lightweight. Right. Which is the problem. Whereas I really did like what he did in the main title. I thought that that was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah? I, I need to read more of it. I read, like, the, the heavily rewritten Red Skull issue. It's, and I... it's all been collected. Because so, that's how I read it. I read it all in the collections. Uh, I will... Because, uh, hey, will... The, the movie's coming out really soon. It's all been collected. Oh, God. Well, that's it. I mean, I'm really the deluge of titles. Oh, I was... Cap. Um... I'm going to write about this for uh, Blogging Newsarama today, but I was listening to Joe Quesada on the Word Balloon podcast yesterday. Uh-huh. And John Suntress goes like, you know, so you guys had a lot of miniseries for Thor and Captain America last year or for the movie. Why didn't you just reprint old stories? 
Mm-hmm. And Joe Casada just comes right out. It's like, yeah, that's not up to us. The sales department tells us what stories they need and, and what we need to create. Wow. Just comes right out and says it. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we, I didn't make those decisions. Wow. Wow. Well, I mean, I'm not surprised. No, no, but he, he comes right out and says, like, you know, it, they to- tell us how many books they think we can sell. And by books, they mean titles or something? By collections. Oh, I see. Collections. Oh, I see. And then you fig- they figure out ways to, like... To meet that need. Wow. Jesus. I wow. I, I was... So, yeah, I'm literally just going to run that quote blog out today. <laughs> I'm going to yeah, describe that just yeah. be like, hey, this was kind of fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. And, of course, there is a way in which, you know, uh, I think 15, 20 years ago or so, I, I don't know, even even now, I'm sure a lot of freelancers are like, yeah, you know, the books have to exist in the marketplace, so why not give new creators a shot or give established creators more pages or give someone the chance to tell the Thor story, Cap story they want to tell within this certain limitation, but it just feels also cut to cloth, you know? It, yeah, it, it's, it, it's just – and also you get things like last year. We had like seven Thor titles a month. Right. right. You know, well, it's just and, and it, crazy. And it it's not it's not good for the retailers, you know. It's not good for the retailers. It's I don't think it's good for the marketplace. I you know. I don't even think it's good. I don't think it's good for the fans. Even if you're a massive Thor fan, you can't tell me you want seven Thor comics a month. Well, see, that's it. Like, who's ever been that massive a Thor fan? The best you can get are like crazy completists who insist on having every issue of Thor ever done, and therefore have to buy all seven titles. I guess. Like, maybe there are people who are really like that. I'm sure there are. And I just, it, yeah, like you said, it's not good for the fans. I mean, I don't know. Of course, I'm like, oh, Graham, of course it's not good for the fans. Uh, but it's just, it's a, it's a really, it's a it's a very bad way to produce uh, work, I think, says the cheery guy. Speaking of which, let me talk briefly, because there's actually a bunch of books that I do want to hear about you, your takes on. But I do want to mention that I read Wolverine Weapon X, Insane in the Brain, the uh, which is I, the worst I, title ever. I thought yes. you read that. I thought you read that when I was a serialist. Uh, no, I didn't because I was not following Wolverine Weapon X stuff, which is why when the first trade uh, that I was like, oh, this is actually really good that I checked out of the library where Steve Dillon art and it's, you know, blah, 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 cancer bullets, blah, 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 laser claws. All that stuff's great. This next, this is the second trade. Oh, and what happened was when we reviewed it on the podcast, someone in the comments, and I meant to look this up so that I could properly drop their name, and I apologize, I'm leaving them anonymous, was like, yeah, you should really read the second second arc, the insane and the brain arc. It's just batshit crazy. And it is. Oh, my God, Graham. You would not like this book even a little bit, but... I'm impressed. You kind of make me want to read it just by saying that, you know. That, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I, because I don't think you would like the yeah, you would not like it, you know? I mean, and therefore I'm driving you to do it more. Uh, you know, Logan ends up it the story opens with, you know, Logan not barely not remembering his name and everything that he can remember about his past that he's saying to people 
they're like, yeah, that sounds crazy. And he's like, I guess it does. And of course you pull back and he's like in an, in an insane asylum with a padded wall and stuff like that. And it starts off like very rapidly as you see him being led around in this insane asylum. It's kind of great how quickly it changes from like, okay, this is kind of a weird, slightly disturbing one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of asylum. And then rapidly becomes a, this is like an asylum from a Stuart R. Gordon movie. Like I see, this is it. I do not think, and maybe I'm wrong, Graham, maybe Reanimator was one of your favorite movies ever. I doubt it. You might be right in saying that. <laughs> Spoilers, you might be right. <laughs> but for people who are fans of, say, that just crazy, like, Reanimator is the one that came to mind to me just because it has that sort of batshit insane gothic sensibility to it i mean before the end of the issue is through you know you have you have a giant machine made of brains that apparently allows people to be you know mind controlled and mind wiped you have somebody being strangled with their own intestines you have an amazing fight scene where wolverine has had two enormous hypodermic needles jammed in his eye sockets. So he's like running around with hypodermic sticking out of his eyes. I mean, it's almost like Mad Magazine <laughs> at that point, you know? The story doesn't necessarily hang together. I'm, no, still... I'm stunned, really? I know, I know, it's I know. It's so tightly flooded and subtle. <laughs> well, okay, it's not subtle, but I mean, like, rereading it, I'm like, this is awesome. But, like, there's a number of, like, the flash forwards and the flashbacks and and especially a little bit of the, the ending is just kind of – let's put it this way. One of the things that I was really impressed with reading it was, A, I enjoyed it tremendously, and B, I can understand why they had to relaunch Wolverine after this because it completely fucks the character, I guess, in a, in a weird, like – it's very much a Marvel Max story put in an all ages title. I mean, I, I mean, or whatever Wolverine is, but it's not, it's not, even though you had the X-Men pop up at the end, it's nowhere close to being a superhero story. It is a flat out sort of psychotic midnight movie starring Logan and it, which is great, but it's so clearly n not what they, not what the audience wants from a Wolverine title that it makes sense to me that, you know, as, as I think Paul O'Brien pointed out, when they relaunched Wolverine and as Weapon X and then had to relaunch the title yet again, I'm kind of fascinated that they're keeping Jason Aaron on it because I like Aaron's work. But this they're, stuff. They're giving really, him an X-Men book. They're not just keeping him on Wolverine. I know. I know. And and on the one hand, it makes sense to me because he can he gets he gets the characters like the X-Men all popped up in the uh the end of Wolverine's like I'm possessed by demons like you've got all the you know you've got Emma you've got Cyclops you've got Magneto you've got a whole bunch of other characters everyone is more or less in character and he can he can write large scenes with large characters uh large cast of characters that being said I think he's really kind of the wrong dude for it like I was kind of reading this stuff and I'm just like yeah, I don't I don't think the marketplace is ever going to really accept Aaron. Like he's a he's a really good writer and I think for the you know, apart from a bit of squeamishness with the superhero fight scenes, which seems endemic to writers, he's you know, he's kind of he's he's like if Garth Ennis actually likes superheroes, he you know, 
you would get Jason Aaron. And in that sense, I think the marketplace, particularly editorial, is like, oh, thank God. You know, we've been looking for someone who is like Garth Ennis, but who actually likes superheroes for over a decade now. You know what I mean? Like Axel Alonso, I think, must love this guy. Um, and I like him tremendously. But like reading this issue, I was like, A, this is great. B, this guy should not be allowed to handle. Because I think guys like you, like you'll read the first issue or two of Jason Aaron's, uh, of Jason Aaron's X-Men title and be like, yep, I'm never picking this up again. You know what I mean? I could be wrong. That's my entire aim. I want to pick up an X-Men book and be like, I'll never pick this up again. But bear in mind, I am the guy who bought all six issues of the Curse of the Mutants storyline, which was absolutely atrocious. <laughs> well, yes, but see, and I think that's the thing, is, is like, maybe I'm... I think Aaron's stuff is right enough that it's not going to have a car crash quality that will make you come eat... That's true. It really was the, how bad can this get? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's a big appeal to you and to all of us at a certain point. But on the other hand, I don't think that it's going to be... We'll see. I could end up being really wrong. He could have a whole bunch of, of like superhero chops that he's got. I've enjoyed his Ghost Rider. I enjoyed his other things. I just... It was interesting. I The art could have been a little bit better. It was Yannick Paquette. Uh, and then the last issue is like C.P. Smith, who, oof, what a terrible, terrible job he did there. But um, but it's a really good trade, not so much for you, but for other people who haven't read it, who've liked some of the other batshit things I've recommended. It's a big thumbs up. Well done, everyone. <laughs> but I have, I have nothing to add. It's one of those things that like, mm-hmm. I, I both want to read it to prove you wrong. Right. And I also don't want to read it because it's true. When you describe it, I'm just like, uh, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, you could look at it, but I, I really think, Graham, as I'm sort of starting to get a stronger handle on the the weird way in which our t- tastes diverge, it wouldn't really be your thing. Like, it's not it it's not batshit insane in the way that you like the batshit insane, I guess. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm, you know, I'll probably end up getting a library just because I'm now curious. Right. And it will cost me nothing. <laughs> Exactly as as this did. So uh, so please tell me about something, some stuff that you've read. So uh, let's see, Moon Knight issue one, the Brian Bendis right. Moon Knight, um, is one of the things that I w- wish a he'd not given away the the twists um, ahead of time, mm-hmm. and b I wish it had come out before last week's Avengers twelve point one issue because that kind of killed it. Um, So Avengers 12.1 is the, it's kind of a cheat for a point one issue, because point one is meant to be what's coming up in this book in the next year, and Mm -hmm. Avengers 12.1 is, here is the groundwork for an event that will be happening somewhere at some point. Hmm. Um, And the event is the Age of Ultron. It's even got a name. Huh. Uh, And so in Moon Knight, when Moon Knight discovers uh, someone selling off an Ultron body. Instead mm. of me being with the characters and being like, that's kind of weird, I wonder why they're doing that, I'm immediately taking out the story. And I'm like, mm. this is laying the groundwork for Age of Ultron. <laughs> and I, I really wish, like, they just swapped the art, the release order around. So that I mm-hmm. could have had at least a week of being like, that's weird, but kind of cool, as opposed to, oh, this is tying in to, you know, this will be collected in the Age of Ultron, the roads to many, like... Right hardcover that will come out a year from now. Um, it's it's an alright 
comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with it is really that the gimmick, you know the gimmick because he's talked about it in interviews, and the last page reveal of the gimmick I don't think would work if you didn't know the gimmick. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could, I wish I didn't know it so I could know that for sure, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, it's one of those things where I had actually avoided all of that, and then somebody mentioned it, two or three people mentioned it on Twitter, and I'm like, oh. I mean, I wasn't really planning on picking up the book anyway, so I think I was fine, but but I was kind of like, oh, that's an interesting take on it. But it was, the, the, why... the way he approaches it is much better than the way it was advertised. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Shall I spoil, spoil or not? You know, I think you should. It's going to be a week until we get this thing up. And, okay, so so instead know. of him actually having the personalities of Spider-Man, Captain America, and Wolverine, he basically imagines that he's talking to them and they're giving him advice. Mm. Hmm. Which is That's... interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, especially because he's talking to almost like the cliche of them. Right. So Captain America is like the inspirational one who's all about responsibility, whereas Spider-Man's kind of the goofball. Right. No, Wolverine's the just get the job done no matter what. Uh, which can, I really think could lead to interesting things down the line. It doesn't really lead to interesting things in the first issue, though. Right. Right. Um, huh. Yeah, I think it's, you know, again, it's kind of a, it's a decent twist. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that, that is a hook that I could see. See, it's a continu- is it a continuing ongoing series? Is yes, it is. Just a mini? No, it's yeah, not. see. If it was anyone but Bendis, I think it would be like, uh, oh, this person now has their own mini. Congratulations. But, you know. Well, as it is, I think this person has their own mini because, hey, do you remember when Spider-Woman was launched as an ongoing? Oh, yeah, right. And that made exactly. up, what, five inches? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I pretty much am guessing this is going to be dead within a year. Mm-hmm. Because it's midnight, and Bendis and Malib can't seem to stay in a title for very long these days, um, because they all seem to get distracted by something else. Oh yeah, there is there is kind of like oh right, they did that whole Halo thing too together, the two of them, which sort of. But they're doing is is Malib still doing Scarlet? Yep. Has he ever been able to sustain more than one title at a time? I uh, know, but apparently he will now. I see. <laughs> So, you know, we'll see. Um, he's not, he's doing pencils and inks for Midnight, but not colors. He's doing all art for Scarlet. Mm. And also, I keep it wrong, I think Scarlet's going bi-monthly as a result. Uh, well, that would, that would so make sense. it might work. I can't remember. Um, also, I think Scarlet's on hiatus after the first uh, storyline for, like, to let them launch Midnight. Right. So, we'll see. Jeez. Jeez, you guys. But um, yeah, it's 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 all right. It's not spectacular. Um, right. Let's see, the Mighty Thor I read and really regretted it. Um, right. Was just the weirdest thing was the page of prologue text mm-hmm. established something that I'm pretty sure had not actually been established in the comics. <laughs> God, they keep doing this. Let me guys. It it, it established that. Jane Foster both tased the guy and need him in the book. No, no, it established that at the end of the Thor, the previous Thor storyline, um, the world tree was established as a permanent, visible presence on Earth. Huh. Which was not, I'm pretty sure, did not appear in either Thor or Fear itself. And yet, it's just, like, laid out there. 
Well, you can see you can you can see the world tree in fear itself, and everyone talks about it like they can see it, but you don't necessarily see. Well, no, it, no, you could definitely see it, but at no point I think had anyone said it's permanent. Right. Right. That's the huh. part I was like, really? Uh huh. Okay then. Right. Um. So, you know, there's that. I guess it's also interesting that Thor, uh, Mighty Thor, takes place on Earth. Uh, in Broxton, which means it either happens before Fear Itself or Fear Itself ends with them all back there. Um, which, you know, is kind of weird considering the same guy's writing both. Dude, yes. I mean, I think we've sort of established how, I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe the first issue of Thor is, you know, the first four or five issues are going to be planting the seeds for Fear Itself number one, you know? Really? Who knows? But it, it's just, it's an odd thing. And also, like, it's where I said this on, on Blog Guy yesterday, but where I think Thor really goes wrong is the first issue. Thor is like a bit player in his own comic. And not only that, he has to get rescued by Loki. Ooh. Like, he appears in maybe seven pages of his own comic. Wow. Who's, who's in there the rest of the time? Let's see. There's a preacher who uh, is talking about how it's hard to have faith when there are actual gods living in your town. Mm. Silver Surfer gets a uh, monologue. Um, Odin gets a monologue. Mm -hmm. That's about it. Jeez, it's it's just it's weird. It it really it doesn't feel like a first issue because it just doesn't feel like. First of all, it doesn't feel like a story, but it doesn't feel like um, anything that would impress you. Like I can't believe anyone's going to go from the movie to that and be like, "Wow." This is exactly the sort of thing I want to do. Do you know what I mean? It's like, right. like huh. I, I'm, from everything I've seen in the trailer, I can't believe Marvel isn't playing up um, the Roger Langridge Chris Somni series more. Because that seems to be, you know, the closest thing to it. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I mean, you know, it, it seems like a very easy, co co you know, one-to-one -one kind of match. So, yeah, I don't know. Mm. Um, what else have I read? Uh, I reread the last six months or so of Levitz's Legion comics. Uh huh. I'd happily found out that I liked them. <laughs> the reason I reread them was pretty much because I was like, I've not been reading them as I've been buying them. I've been buying them mm -hmm. like I'll read them later. Uh, right. uh, and had a I should probably read them and decide whether I'm going to keep buying them or not. Uh, mm -hmm. and realized that they read much better as a as not a collection, but in in total, as opposed to on a monthly basis. Right. So, hooray. Although, hooray, I, that must have been kind of a relief. Yeah, but also it might mean I'll just switch to trades on them because they read much better like that. Right. right. Well, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, this is one of my things is like, I'm still trying to figure out the singles or the trades kind of conundrum because I'm like, couldn't you then just continue to buy the singles and then... Oh, no, I, I could. And I, I might do because... Mm -hmm. That way I'm also supporting the book, because I can't believe that many people are buying Avenger comics. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, if I decide to switch the trades to that, I could be contributing to the death of the comic. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that book is... I, I don't... I could have sworn the charts suggested that that thing's still kind of in freefall, isn't it? Or not? I, I would be really surprised if it's not, because it's a Legion Academy book at this point. <laughs> Who really wants to read the Legion Academy besides me? Really, for all, for all my jokes about Nathaniel Richards Fine Club is like David is a Mary and the Creators, I'm pretty sure Legion Academy is me and Paul Levitz. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. 
<laughs> well, I mean, there's it's fine. I think there is a way in which it's great when there's room for that in the marketplace, but it helps if there's real room for it in the marketplace, you know? I don't know. It's just me. So, too bad, Graham. Also, uh, I read Brightest Day and um, Generation Lost, the last issues of both. Uh-huh. And they're very interesting. <laughs> really? Yeah. You can't you can't expound on that. Uh, Generation Lost is a much better final issue than Brightest Day is. Mm. Uh, but both made me made me wish first of all the flashpoint wasn't happening. Uh and secondly made me wish that someone in DC could sit everyone else down and be like, We have a really healthy universe right now, take take advantage of that. Right. Um, because Generation Lost, Lost ends with the Justice League International franchise getting relaunched. Mm-hmm. It ends with Batman essentially saying, you guys should stay together as a team. And mm-hmm. not only that, the team having a purpose after this 24-part series. Oh, well, that's always uh, nice. Because it essentially ends up with Maxwell Lord gets away. Mm-hmm. And it's still out there, but it tries to go viral in his superheroes need to be watched. Mm-hmm. But in order to save face, he's like, the only superheroes you can trust are the Justice League International. Ah, I see. Right. And so Batman's, so they... like, Batman's like, I've got a plan. Right. <laughs> um, and that's that seems like a hook for a series. Mm-hmm. Or at least a hook for an opening arc. Certainly. And it's definitely the better hook to keep that, that team together than anything that has been tried since that series launched. Do you know what I mean? The idea of, like, they're going to set themselves up as the super friends and, you know, hang out in the mall is, like, <laughs> that's a terrible idea. But this, <laughs> this idea works. As, as right. together. And also, Booster Gold aside, you can't tell me that anyone else has really got a great idea for Captain Adam, Rocket Red, and even Blue Beetle, Fire mm-hmm. Ice. Do you know what I mean? Like, so sure. Right. They can probably keep that that those characters going. That's great. Swamp right. Thing being back in DC. Uh, sure, that can work. But it's also brought back Firestorm with a really obvious we're launching a new series hook like at the end of that plot. Right. Um, Hogman, Martian Manhunter, and whoever, Aquaman. Um, and so sure, like, I just feel like all these things, all these things have been brought back into play. Yeah. And to ignore that and be like, we're going to do Flashpoint, which is going to plunge you into an alternate reality for eight months. Mm-hmm. And then we'll pick up things after that. It's like, no, what? No. It's <laughs> like, where is the logic in doing this? Where's the sense of being like, here's all these things we brought back into play. Now ignore them for seven months. Right. Right. Well, I mean, you would like to think that, that because John's is did brightest day that there will be room for the things that he put back on the table and brightest uh, for flashpoint i kind of don't think so but... no i think flashpoint is pretty much just going to like includes kid flash and flash and that's it really interesting so uh do you know do you have any ideas i i hate to do this because i think this is this is precisely the reason why uh concepts are being left fallow um but is me focusing on the do you do you have any idea what the the world-shaking twist at the end of Flashpoint is? Yeah, I think that history is not going to be restored, but it's going to be rebuilt based upon Barry Allen's memories. Meaning? Meaning, if he remembers something wrong, mm-hmm. then it won't be the way it was. Right. But it's, so... it's, it's a soft reboot. 
Right. And do 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 you? Let's put it this way. At a certain point, I reread the DC things about everyone being like, oh, yeah, there's a big thing lined up that if, you know, that is going to be like a big major change. I think like, I think the big major thing change one way or another is that history is not going to be restored the way it was. That mm-hmm. something, something will be wrong. Right. Or different, because it's going to be the status quo, but something will be different. Even if yeah. it's something as minor as they will finally, finally fucking make sense of Wonder Woman's past. Right. I don't think so. I here's my thing, Graham. So tell me, like, is everyone else on Twitter like talked about this, and you were like, "Oh, Jeff, that's so like." But I think they're going to undo uh, Superman and Lois's marriage. No one has even vaguely said that. Really? You really think they're going to do? It? Yeah, I think they do. I think they do. They because they keep making noises like this is going to be a big thing, and it's going to draw a lot of attention, and. I just kind of sort of we were talking about the marriage stuff and I'm like, oh, right. This is the way that they're going to, you know, take that idea from the Superman, you know, the Morrison Superman pitch. Sorry, Morrison Wade and everyone Superman pitch and do it, essentially. They're going they're going to undo the marriage. Can can they do that in this post one more day world? Do you know what I mean? Like Marvel got so much shit for doing that. Oh yeah, did you really do it? Yeah, I think I think they can. I think they're thinking, dude, they've got a time. Tr- they've got an. Although that month- that might be the same thing. Like if the two things, the thing I mentioned, the thing you mentioned, might be the same thing. That's how mm-hmm. you do it. Mm-hmm. The time gets rebuilt wrong. Exactly, time gets rebuilt wrong, and so Superman and Lois are apart again, and you get the dynamic so that when you have a Superman movie franchise reboot when you go with all the other stuff that you're going with it's going to tie into dc continuity because superman lois are no longer going to be together but the great thing is unlike spider-man and mary jane like superman's not really a romance book or if it's a romance book it's about the romantic triangle between clark and superman and lois but again is that really true because that's not been the case for a long time 20 20 years Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, no. it's the same thing with their whole well, Spider-Man isn't a better married guy and it's like well it is for everyone who's been reading the book for the yes, last agreed. 20 years absolutely and here's the thing so here's the deal right so DC I really feel looked at Marvel they saw that Marvel did that the internet like broke itself in half and then in half again and you know what it didn't make a difference it didn't really make a difference to the sales. You know, the biggest complaint that you had ultimately one year down the line was like, okay, but you know what? They did a really sloppy job of it. You know, they did this capricious outside, you know, Mephisto's deal. It comes out of nowhere. It's just, it's a bad story. Like every, but a year later, everyone's like, well, we can't, can't argue with the results, you know, but. Uh, well, well, here's, here's my response to do that. That can't mm-hmm. be the only change they do. Right. They'll have to they will have to change something for Batman and something for Wonder Woman if they change Superman's marriage. Oh, interesting. Yeah, maybe. I mean, and maybe that's the thing. Maybe each of them get rebooted in a big old way. Um, but I'm just saying, here and now I didn't know if other people had saying it. I felt like I'd been on a pretty good roll by not reading titles and just reading press releases. That's what I think is gonna happen. That would be fascinating. And you have actually brought me around to it in a disturbing way. 
Well, then that probably means I'm wrong. Because <laughs> whenever I convince anyone, everyone's like, ah, but it's always when I say things and no one believes me that they pan out and then I jump around and everyone's like, yeah, yes. <laughs> but everyone already knew that, Jeff. <laughs> Hmm. But yes, all of which is to say, I do wish that they had, um, they had, uh, I don't know, you know, I'll, I'll be really curious to see how, I'm, I'm curious that Brightest Day, that they didn't launch another Justice League title, that they didn't put those am, characters in a Justice League. I am fairly sure game. they will. Huh. I really, because it's the, it's the Justice League. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um... And that's the other thing. I think that that's going to happen post-Flashpoint, because I think it's probably waiting for Jeff Johns' um, schedule to clear up. Right. Right. That makes sense. And he'll be co-writing. Although, it sounds like he was making noises like he was doing an Aquaman series as opposed to a... He is, but I'm guessing he's going to... I'm guessing he's not going to be on The Flash when The Flash returns. Mm. So, probably Sterling Gates. Oh, um, and I think his workload will be Green Lantern, if Green Lantern is still going. Um mm-hmm. Flash, uh, Green Lantern, Aquaman, and Justice League. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think I think that would kind of be, I think that would be good. Although I just I had this moment of like, ah, oh, what if the White Lantern had been Vibe? That would have been awesome. <laughs> as as a big fan of the Justice League Detroit, I support that. See, like nobody would have seen that one coming. Admittedly. Um, that would have been great. Okay, well, anyway. Uh, so, sir, it is ridiculously close to noon. Yes, so... and you have to jump up at noon, you said. Yeah, so uh, we should wrap this up for our uh, delightful, wonderful yes, listeners. Yes, listeners, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back potentially in a week. <laughs> well, maybe not, because my mother-in-law's here next week. Oh, right. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll be back soon, everyone. <laughs> Stay safe. Drive carefully. <laughs> Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. <laughs> Wait, keep your what in the stars? Feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Oh, keep reaching for the stars. Okay, this is great because I thought it sounded like a Silver Age DC comic. It was like, keep your feet on the ground and keep your chief in the stars. And I'm like, yes, super chief. Yeah, super chief in the stars. Fascinating. It's like a, it's like a Bowie song. <laughs> <laughs>